Merry Christmas to you. Just want to say first, thank you for coming to the 11. Uh, that would have been a bad deal uh, if you guys all showed up at the 915. So uh, thank you for helping uh, accommodate visitors, friends, family to be able to, to gather and, and learn and hear about Jesus at both. Uh, super grateful for that. Um, just want to say specifically, if, if you're new or visiting, uh, just thrilled that you're here with us. If you're a neighbor, if you're a coworker, if you're a family member that just dropped in for, for Christmas Eve, uh, just thankful that you get to, to witness, hopefully, uh, why we're so excited and thankful for uh, this time where we really celebrate the advent, the arrival of, and the return of uh, Jesus Christ. And so I want you to know just what you're witnessing is a worship service, and we worship Jesus uh, just a, a handful of ways. Um, we worship Jesus by singing songs. That's why we just sang to him and and to just thank Jesus for who he is and what he's done. We worship Jesus by uh, sitting under the, the preach where we believe this is uh, God's revelation to us. We don't need to walk around in blind speculation, but God has given us revelation and has spoken very clearly so we can know who he is and what he's done. Uh, we also worship Jesus by being generous. We should be the most generous people that exist because God was most generous in giving us himself in his incarnate son, Jesus Christ. So we give uh, in the small silver blocks, black, silver boxes on the back. We used to have black ones. Well, I had to change it. So, uh, and I want to remind you in the spirit of that, um, today at both services, every dollar that's given in our general offering uh, will go towards helping purchase a truck for Pastor Wilson, one of our missionaries and church planners that we support in Haiti. Uh, and so I think we've already gotten in around 15 grand. Praise Jesus. Yeah. So uh, can someone write a check for 15 and then we're good. Okay. So uh, feel free to drop it in the box on the way out. And, uh, and no, we just, we just are praying that God would use that profoundly in his ministry because uh, he's doing a, a profound work in Haiti and he has to drive far distances uh, through places that uh, a normal uh, car can't get you and his previous truck broke. And so we thought this would be a great way to bless him at Christmas time. I was to give him a new truck. Uh, so I hope he gets to unwrap that soon. So um, every dollar will be given to that. Um, and just so you know, if you're visiting new to Christianity, we do not want you, your money or look, looking for your generosity. We want you to know this Jesus, uh, we believe, saves us from sa- Satan, sin, and death and reconciles us to God. So um, why don't we do this? Let's, let's uh, pray and ask God for help. Let's ask him to help uh, teach us, to encourage us. Listen, I'm sure I'm in good company when I say when we leave this place, chaos will ensue, okay? So the moment we leave this place, I mean, you're going to have family, you're going to have food, you're going to have things going on some of you guys, your kids are going to be biting your legs. I mean, it's going to be just insane. So, so what I need is I need us to, to take a moment and just set our minds on why we're here and, and the beauty, the, the majesty, the magnificence of Christmas morning. Um, so let me give you a chance. Just whatever you need to lay at the Lord's feet, uh, whatever burdens, whatever thoughts, whatever anxieties, whatever, whatever pressures, uh, maybe you're terrified to leave this place and go be with family uh, because of the hostility that will be there. So just ask God for help. Ask God to give you peace, his peace. Um, Ask God to help you see more of his work on Christmas morning this morning by being here. Father, it's so good to have some quiet. Uh, Stillness is good. You even command us to be still. So God, thank you for a space we can be still this morning to consider you. And God, we pray that your birth would mean more to us, that your life, death, resurrection, and return would mean more to us because we were here together. God, thank you that we get to celebrate you and remember you together on Christmas Eve. And we pray that you would speak in loud ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, go to, uh, we're going to four places. I don't know where you want to start. Just go to Jeremiah 31. 
then we're going to go to Ezekiel 26, and then John 3. Okay, so we're going to start in the Old Testament. Now, here's what I want to tell you. If you're new to Christianity, new to church, if this is totally foreign to you, that's okay. Uh, let me just help you understand what we've been doing the last four weeks and catch you up to speed to this morning. Um, we've been walking through a, a very simple way to understand your Bible um, in the way that God has given us his word is the Old Testament are all of God's promises to his people. Uh, the, the, the Old Testament people, the, the people of Israel were longing for a deliverer. They were longing for someone to restore their nation, their, their people. They knew that they were fractured because of sin, and they knew that someone had to come and do what they could not do and make right what they could not make right. And so um, they know this deliverer's coming. There was longing. There was anticipation. Uh, and so God made promises to them. And then the New Testament is basically all of God's promises kept in Jesus Christ. So 2 Corinthians will tell you, or 1 Corinthians will tell you that, that every bit of God's promises are yes and amen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, so we get all those things fulfilled. So here's what we did. We started in the Old Testament. You start with Adam, right? Adam is the first man. He's married to Eve, the first woman. So you have the first marriage. God made them. All was good. There was no sin. Everything was perfect. They were communicating with God. But here's the problem. Um, they didn't want to be with God. They wanted to be God. And so uh, they committed cosmic trees and they sin against the God of the universe. They disobey him. They basically don't believe his word. They don't believe that he is truthful. They don't believe that he is who he said he is. And so they, uh, they sin and then sin enters human history. That's how we get fracture, futility, all that you see now. Um, That's why there's wars and strife. That's why relationships aren't the way they should be. That's why our hearts aren't the way they should be. That's why we long for things that constantly seem to betray us, even though we continue to chase them, thinking they'll satisfy our hearts. And so that is sin. So God comes. And here's where you got to kind of reframe your, your understanding of God. Some of you guys would expect God to come out with his vindictive smile and want to punish these two sinners who disobeyed him. Actually, what you'll read, even though it is a story of rebellion against God, you'll see tons of promise and blessing, and God pursues us despite us. That is the story of the Bible, that God comes after us when we're unworthy, when we're sinful, when we're bleak, when things are not going the ways that they should go. God intervenes, God pursues, God is faithful when we're unfaithful, so he says, hey, I'm going to send a deliverance to come and basically crush the head of Satan, even though he'll bruise your heel. So there's this promised one who's going to do it. Now that promise is Jesus Christ. Then you move a couple chapters later to Genesis chapter 12, and you've got this guy, Abram, who's later changes his name to Abraham. That's the plurality of his name. And God comes to Abraham and says, hey, uh, you're going to have descendants. You're going to have children. You're going to have a children's children. They're going to grow into this nation. Everyone's going to see your nation and go, man, that's the true God. That's the one God. He's the, he's the good God. All people's eyes are going to be pointed to you because of you as a nation, as a city on a hill. And here's what happens. Um, Abraham looks at God and says, hey, my circumstances are bleak. I'm almost 100 years old. Uh, my wife's barren and she's 90. She ain't looking so hot. Okay, so she's like, I don't know if that's going to happen with us. God miraculously conceives. They bear Isaac. Isaac has kids. Jacob, Jacob has 12 kids. You can keep going down the line. You get to Moses, right? He's in the mix there. What happens is this nation, these people grow to be a powerful nation, not a powerful nation yet, but they grow to be a big nation, become oppressed and enslaved by the Egyptians. So the Egyptians are enslaved by Pharaoh, God says, hey, Moses, another deliverer is going to be sent. Uh, he's the mediator for God. Hey, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go to be freed. So he goes in on behalf of God. That's what a prophet does. And he says, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. He goes, fine, you're going to get plagues. They got plagues. Let them go. They head to the Red Sea, parts of the Red Sea. Amazing story. Many of you know it if you grew up in church. So they get through the other side, and God says, hey, give them commands, right? Not so that you'd begrudgingly obey them. Not so that you'd think you could save yourself by them, but see that you couldn't save yourself and needed someone outside of you who 
could do it, right? That's the deliverer that's going to come. And so Moses comes down. The people continue in idolatry. They continue to break God's law, break God's commands. God's going, this is why you need a deliverer. This is why you need a savior, right? Then we moved on to David, right? Because the people get powerful. They go, hey, God, we want a king. And he's like, I am your king. And they're like, we want a man. He's like, okay, fine. Here's Saul, you know, pretty handsome, whatever, well to do. You, you take Saul. He's a wicked king, evil king, doesn't do well. David steps in. King David, God comes again and says, I'm still faithful to my promise. I'm still good to what I said. I'm a God who sticks to my word. Hey, from your line's going to come a king, but he's not going to rule for a season. He's going to rule for the ages. He's going to rule for eternity. His kingdom will be perfect because he's a perfect king. And so they long to see this happen. And that leads us all the way to the birth of Jesus. Okay, so we've got now the birth of Jesus because here's what we looked at. Jesus, the whole time, as you look at every promise God made, you can, start at, you can start at Adam, you can go to Noah, you can go to Abraham, you can go to Joseph, you can go to Moses, you can go to David, you can go to Jacob, you can go to everybody. Jesus is the better of all of them. So we saw Jesus is the better Adam, right? Adam was tempted in the garden, and the curse was spent because of that. And Jesus comes later in the garden and is tempted and withstands his temptation and lifts the curse for us. We saw how Jesus is a better Abraham, right? A man who leaves all that's familiar, his heaven, his home, becomes a foreigner, a sojourner, and makes a new people, makes a people for his own. We saw how he was the better Moses, right? He's not the one who has to obey the law. He perfectly fulfills the law for you and I. So we get his spotless, blameless life, and he gets to take our sin response. And then you have David where he's the better David because he's a king who will rule with no end. He reigns and rules right now. So that leads us to he's the better Adam, the better Abraham, the better Moses, the better David, the better birth. I worked hard on that. Like that? Okay. Like three, you like it. Okay, so here's, this is simply what I want to do today. Real short, here's what I got is why is Jesus' birth the better birth? And here's your answer. His birth is the better birth because it enables us rebirth. Okay, that, that's, that's why. Now, that's, for some of you, my Christmas gift to you, a short sermon, okay? You only get one a year. You get a, this is your gift on Christmas Eve, short sermon and a blazer, okay? So, so don't think, some of you guys don't even know that, because you're like, I don't, I don't attend here. If you do attend here, some of you guys walked right by me, didn't even recognize me, because I'm clean shaven, and I have a blazer on, okay? So, listen, uh, I do not normally dress like this. Normally wear jeans and uh, a button down, um, but that's okay. God still loves me. So, so here we go, okay? So short sermon, this is what I want you to remember. And, and for the Christian, I want you to treasure this. And for the non-Christian, I want you to believe this and be made new. Okay, Jesus' birth enables you and I rebirth. So, so here, here we go. Uh, we're gonna look at two places in the Old Testament where we see the promise of this new birth, this rebirth that's going to happen, okay? First one's in Jeremiah 31. And this is the last aspect to every promise God has made. It's unbelievable, it's exciting. So he pursued Abba. He pursued Abraham. He pursued Moses. He pursued David. And here we go in Jeremiah. He sends Jeremiah. Jeremiah's another prophet speaking on behalf of God. And this is what he says. Verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's all who will be God's people. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, Right? That's Moses, his promise to Moses. My covenant that they broke, they couldn't keep his commands. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Listen, so 
despite everyone's rebellion, everyone's sin, everyone wandering, even though God continues to be good, continues to be kind, continues to be gracious, even though that is, that is the father heart of God, even though God continues to do that, they continue to rebel. I love it. God says, hold on a second. This promise of Jesus coming Christmas morning is not banked on you buying me off. It's not banked on your merits or works. It's because I made a promise. Like, like listen, every bit of what God does for you in Jesus Christ is because he decided to do it, and it's because you're banking on his word. It has nothing to do with your performance or what you bring to the table. It all has to do with what Jesus has done alone for you. So he says this amazing language, I've been loving, I've been gracious, I've been patient, I've been steadfast, I've continued to make promise after promise, even as you go wayward, even as you walk with a limp. That's good news for us, that, that the incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel, he didn't wait for us to have better versions of ourselves. He said, no, I'm meeting you in that space. That's the, that's the good news of Christmas morning. Well, he, he dives into the muckmire and, and ruin, and he says in here, listen, he says, even though you betray me and sin against me, I'm going to be your God. I'm going I'm to love you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be good to you, and I'm going to do all of this in spite of you. That's God's message as he hones up and follows up this promise. Flip to Ezekiel 36. You're going to see him narrow the promise, make it more clear. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, here's what he says. I'm going to give you a new heart. This transformation, this rebirth, you're going to get a new heart. He says, I'm going to give you a new spirit that I'm going to put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Okay, Ezekiel is laying out for us something ultimately Jesus Christ and Christ alone will do. You're not going to get your heart, in, you're not going to give yourself a new heart. You're not going to give your heart of stone a heart of flesh. You're not going to be able to uphold the commands of God in your own strength and power. And the purpose of those commands wasn't for you to look good and pretty in front of others. It was because he knows those lead to fullness of life. And so what I want you to see here is notice the flow of this text. Because so many people even read the Old Testament and go, oh, see, God's all about commands, right? No, read the flow of this text. This is distinct from every other belief system of faith, right? Most belief systems say, hey, if you follow these things, if you appease this God, then somehow your heart will change and you may be happy, right? No, the God of the Scripture says, no, 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 no. Despite you, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to give you a new heart, and that spirit is going to overwhelm you. It's going to flood your heart and soul. You're going to well up. Thank you. One person's excited about that. You, that's going to grow you up in salvation. Here's what's awesome. That spirit is going to actually grow you in glad submission to me. It's going to grow you in glad delight in obeying me. That spirit's going to transform you. It's going to give you a power outside of you. So that's the idea. You're not getting a new heart by things that you do. You're given a new heart by Jesus despite you, and that creates in you something new. And that's the true message of the gospel at Christmas, that Jesus intervenes, God pursues, God's faithful despite you and I. So listen, enjoy the mess when you head to family later. Right, go, yep, sin, right? That's why Jesus came, to intervene, because relationships are fractured. The family line is ruined, and God is in redeeming and restoring and making new that which is all broken. And he says out of the gate, hundreds of years before Jesus comes, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm all about. Now our lives are transformed. So listen, now you and I will not be marked by just exhausted obedience, but instead flooded by the grace and power of Jesus Christ where we can't help but live and love him. It's a very, very different aspect. So now let's move into the New Testament. You're going to see the magnitude of this birth that gives us rebirth, John 3. 
Here's what happens. Jesus has been born of a virgin. He's been preaching and teaching. He's been living a sinless life. And the Pharisaic system, the Jewish teachers, right, thought they were awesome because they abided to all the rules and legislation. They were moralistically on top of the charts, but they were religiously lost. This is Nicodemus, right? And he has understandings of Christianity, understandings of God, understandings of the Bible, but he's not saved. And he comes to Jesus, which is incredible. He's very religious, but he's lost. And he meets Jesus, and he has a lot of questions for Jesus. And Jesus answers him, but uh, says some things that are actually quite confusing to him. John 3, verse 1, here's what Jesus says as John writes. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So there's an inkling of understanding that, man, this guy's got some power outside of himself. There's something about this guy that is not human. It's divine. But he can't quite put all the pieces together. So Jesus answers him and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You need rebirth. Nicodemus said to him, but how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? But before you nail Nicodemus, you'd say it too. If someone says, hey, you got to be born again, I can't jump back in the birth canal. Like, that's a normal response, right? We would all respond just like Nicodemus. That doesn't make sense to me. I've already been born physically. What are you talking about this new birth that has to happen? And Jesus answers him again and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, right? Water breaks at physical birth. You've got to be born again by the spirit, divine birth. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you're born physically and need to be born again spiritually, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What Jesus is explaining is there's a time when you and I were physically born, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting here. So no one can say, I wasn't. Yeah, you were. You're here. So so we're all physically born. You celebrate birthdays. This is why we love birthdays. We celebrate. we, We hold parties. And he says, in the same way as you were born physically, you need to be born spiritually. So the first birth is the birth of the body. The second birth is the birth of the soul, right, where you're actually made new, you're regenerated. God gives you a new heart. He gives you a new mind. Now, let me explain why this is necessary. Um, it's because we're all born in sin. Now, some of us don't like to hear sin, don't like to talk about sin, but actually, believing in sin is incredibly helpful uh, because sin helps you understand and explain why everything is the way it is. It helps you explain why you are the way that you are. It helps you explain why you chase everything that is not him why you're constantly longing for some type of God and idol to satisfy your heart. It explains why relationships are the way they are, imperfect. It explains why every person you try to make God makes a terrible God. Your spouse makes a terrible God. Your work makes a terrible God. They're not God. They can't hold up under an expectation of perfection, of goodness, of love. He's showing us that by nature and birth, we're all sinful. We've all chosen outside of God's ideal. We're just like Adam and Eve, and we all desire to run our own life and be our own God. And God says, until you humble yourself and admit that you cannot be me, and there's only one of me, and I'm good to you, and this sin is not just sin of your actions, but sin of your nature, you can't cure the disease. You're going to keep going after symptoms. So he's explaining here that that we have to have something called rebirth because there is pain, there is death, there is wars, there is strife. That's all because of sin. It has fractured not only humanity, but the universe itself. Romans 8 says that even creation's longing and groaning to be made new again. And this is why you and I are longing for the Garden of Eden that we got kicked out of to get back inside it. He goes, oh, that's coming one day. But that's why that's there in you. That's why Ecclesiastes says eternity was written on your heart. 
because that's something that you don't even realize you long for. And only Jesus Christ can make new. And so the Bible tells us that all this fracture and futility is because of sin, and it's sin in relation to God, right? The Bible says God is holy, God is good, God is perfect, God is God, right? Uh, We are not, right? We belittle his name. We wander from him. We rebel. And even in that, what's amazing is it shows that sin is ultimately not following God's word, God's ways, or God's will. And we gladly do that. We put everything else as ultimate above him. And when that happens, the fracture continues to be revealed in our hearts and minds. We are bent with desires that are not his. So this leads to a life that's separated from God, where you're born physically, live sinfully, and die eternally, right? Here's the good news. God intervenes. I mean, God sees us in our brokenness, in our waywardness, and God pursues us despite us. Oh, man, Pastor Mike, some of you don't even know me. You probably think because I have a jacket on, I'm like holy or something, but really this is just annoying. But listen, here's Mike Reed, man, the depths of Mike Reed, the thoughts, the acts committed, omission and commission, things I should have done that I did not do, things that I have done that I did not do. All of those wicked deeds Christ gladly put on himself and lived his perfect life for Mike Reed on behalf of me because he did not inherit a sin nature. Right? He was born of a virgin. He didn't have the original sin of an, a biological father. And so he creates a whole new humanity as he gives a new heart and a new mind. That, that's the good news of Christmas, that Jesus was born so that you could have rebirth. That's the main reason that he came in salvation, this great work of Jesus Christ by which we experience. You need rebirth because you can be alive physically but dead spiritually. Right? I mean, you, you can be alive even, you know, relationally, but not connected to God. And so he shows we need this rebirth. This is why Peter says this. I love this text in 1 Peter 1. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, which he has caused us to be what? Born again, right? Rebirth, right? He's caused you to be born again. I love that. To a living hope. You're no longer dead. You're alive. You're not just physically breathing. You've got, you've got divine realities happening now in your life. You've got a Holy Spirit that has flooded your being and caused you to be made new. It's given you a new mind, a new heart, new emotions, new desires, a new wiring to where now you don't hate God's commands. You love God's commands. You're not trying to appease people by who you are. You can't help but who you are because you've been transformed. So it's not this modification you need. You don't need to be made tweaked a little bit. You don't need to be made nicer, more moral. You and I need to be made totally new. We need to have a new birth. We need to have regeneration. Big theologians call that word. That's what you and I need. And Jesus does it. Jesus goes, I'm born so that ultimately I can go to the cross and die for your sin. And because death is the penalty for sin and I didn't sin, death can't hold me. So I'll rise again. I'll ascend to the Father and then I will give you my spirit and make you totally new. It's the good news of Christmas morning. I don't know what you think the good news is, but that's the good news, that we get rebirth. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. And the Bible teaches just as there's growth and change as you're physically born, there's growth and change as you're spiritually born. So I want to give you just four things that happen when there's rebirth. Number one, one of the first things that happens is you have a new Lord. It's one of the first things that happens in in rebirth. The most important person in your life is no longer you. It's Jesus. The the highest authority in your life is no longer you. It's Jesus. 
because, and you love it because that's how you were made. That's how you were created. You were not created to love, serve, worship you. You were created to love, serve, worship Jesus. And then all of a sudden, all of this makes sense. See, from birth, when we sin, we're put on pathways that love to choose everything outside of what God would have for us. And so we're constantly trying to run on this treadmill of finding satisfaction, finding worth, finding fulfillment. We chase it in fame. We chase it in prestige. We chase it in fortune, chase it in relationships, chase it everywhere outside of Jesus Christ, who's the only one who can do this for us. And so we're actually given a new Lord that we long and love because he is the one our hearts were made to worship. And listen, some of you maybe are bitter and angry and exhausted and frustrated and tired because you've spent the bulk of your life living for you and not for Jesus. And so you put weight on everybody else in your life, expecting them to be a functional God that they could never possibly be. Whether it's your pastor, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your friends, whether it's your, your community of faith. Like, I don't know what you're putting all your weight and worth on, but if it ain't him, it's gonna eventually fail you and rob your joy and betray you. And we see that we got a new Lord who we love to serve because he's a perfect king. He loves us perfectly, endingly. It's amazing that Jesus Christ could be our Lord. Number two, you get a new life. New heart and new mind. Totally new life. This whole idea of rebirth is basically bringing back into alignment. Because when we sin, we were cut off from God. There was a, a fracture that took place so that we're now on these paths of seeking out everything to worship and love outside of him and his name. So there's this, there's this thing that has to happen, this, this realignment that has to happen in our hearts. So listen, here's the lie that we all buy, though, for new life. If I can just somehow get a future or a better version of me, I'll solve it. Right? Man, if I can just get this, if I can just have that one thing build me up or that one thing validate me or that one thing do whatever it is, I'll somehow have the wholeness that I need. I'll somehow be all that I wanted to be. I'll somehow have this space fixed and put together. Looking for that thing to build you up, that answer you search for, that thing to make you whole, that you need to be made new. Now, some of us bend to moral religion for that, right? We just want to go to church, Start praying, get on my knees, get in a community group, just grab the Bible, don't know what I'm doing, I'm just gonna flip through pages. I don't know, somehow that's gonna somehow begin to divinely, spiritually turn me into something new, right? Or some of us just bend towards just crazy worldliness. It doesn't matter if you do licentiousness or legalism. It doesn't matter which plate you fall on. The gospel love is the playing field saying, neither of those are gonna earn for you what only Christ can earn. Because what it shows you is you need a righteousness that you don't have. You need a purity you don't possess. You need to be somebody that you're not, now, some of us don't have the humility to say, that's true, right? And that's why humility is the first step in getting new life and getting a new Lord. Saying, so, man, I realize I cannot do this. I have screwed up. I've belittled his name. I'm tired of this. I'm seeking for it in everywhere outside of Jesus Christ. And this is why for some of us, our pursuit is in vain because you're only treating symptoms. You don't treat the disease. Now, if any of you guys know medicine, you know this is wildly common and popular, right? If you've got a disease, you just treat symptoms, uh, all you do is change from medication to medication or ultimately just try to manage your behavior or manage that disease, right? See, here's the thing. Um, your heart needs to be changed. Like, like you don't, your, your behavior doesn't need to be changed. Your little heart needs to be changed, otherwise you'll never be free. You'll never be free from you. 
You won't be able to break free from the prison of self-idolatry and self-worship. You'll never be able to actually experience fullness of life and see the world through the lens of the Holy Spirit, the way that God had designed the world to be. You can't see it as getting back to the Garden of Eden. You can't see anything with clarity as the Holy Spirit would have you because you're treating a symptom and not a disease. We do not need modification. You need a total overhaul. You need a home makeover from the deepest parts of your soul. You need your old heart ripped out and a new heart put in. Your old mind ripped out, your new mind put in. You need a Holy Spirit-infused power to even understand this and have illumination of what I'm saying. Amazing. He gives us a new life. And this is why the problem is your heart, not your actions. Education will never change your heart. Government will never change your heart. Opportunity will never change your heart. Wealth will never change your heart. Humanitarian acts will never change your heart. Even spiritual self-help books never change your heart. Listen, those things will adjust your heart. They might tweak you for a little bit, but they can't change it. They can't transform it. You need something outside of you, a power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, a resurrected power the Bible talks about that's literally gonna make you new and give you a new Lord and a new life with a new heart and a new mind. That's rebirth. To now I see God as good. I see God as saving. You and I need rebirth. And it's not done, friends, by Jesus demanding you follow codes. It's done by him to spite you, saying, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to save you. You do nothing to get it. You just trust in the work of Jesus Christ. You don't earn this. You don't do things to get a new heart. I give you a new heart, and then your life starts to work itself out. And I tease out those areas. What gospel are you believing? What Christmas message have you believed or walked in? Number three, you're given a power outside of you in rebirth. You're given the Holy Spirit. See, what's amazing is it's not even about you trying to become something new in rebirth. It's about something outside of you, something so divine, so majestic, so good, so big, intervening in your life and causing you to be born again. Taking the truths of the gospel, that he lived the perfect life, that he died the debt for me, that he bared all my sin, appeased the full weight and wrath of God for me in my place, for my sins, and he rises saying, I get to have his new life. He took my old life and put it in the grave, and now I get to walk free. And then he gives me my spirit so that that actually happens, right? It's something that, that it's not no longer about this external striving, but this internal reality. We talked about it two weeks ago with Moses, right? He's going to write the law on your heart. So it's no longer a law that you abide to externally, even though that's good and we should. It's a law that's written on your heart where the, the fruits of the spirit are bubbling up out of you because that's the power that has flooded your being. And you're reborn through that. Listen, you and I were not designed to operate outside of the Spirit's power. You were not designed to read the Bible and understand everything outside of the Holy Spirit. You were not designed to know how to love and look like Jesus outside of the Holy Spirit. You were not designed to be made new without the Holy Spirit. You literally were reborn. If you've had rebirth in this room, the Holy Spirit of God has fallen on you and caused you to be born again. That's what Peter's talking about when he says, man, what mercy that God would do this. That God, despite me, that as I'm wayward, as I walk with a limp, as I'm not wanting any of who he is, he still makes me new. It's almost this idea of you are running and running and running, and I constantly say this to you all. This is one of the reasons some of you guys come back, even though most of what I say offends you, because God is after you. And you continue to return because God is on your heels. And he's calling you to himself. For some of you, that's why you're sitting in this room. Praise God. That's some of you, that's why you're sitting here in this room. And because it's part of God's grace in calling you to himself. Listen, 
this truth is awesome for me on Christmas Eve and Easter <laughs> as a pastor. So you're like, how? Because just the pressure. Hey, get them, give your best sermon of the year. You know, prepare for weeks, man. It's all dependent on you. And man, you, you better kill it, man. You better do this, do that, and have a funny story. Man, I got nothing. Man, I, I can knock your socks off with charisma. I can do whatever you want. But if the Holy Spirit of God doesn't fall and do something, this thing is dead. Close the doors. It doesn't matter what we're doing here together. The Holy Spirit of God is the only active agent in this place spiritually that can do anything to create rebirth. Okay, listen, my words, I pray, are from the Lord, but I am, I am errant, right? This is an errant, I'm errant, right? Infallible, fallible, okay? You gotta make sure you have that distinction, right? So there might be things I say that are erroneous, but God takes those things, allows you to hold onto the truth, and he pierces your heart with his gospel, and he says, rise. And I, I get to walk away happy, praise God, right? I mean, I, I get the Holy Spirit's awesome. So, so that's, that's what we sing here, that's what we do. We sing songs, man, praying the Holy Spirit would take songs and minister to hearts and souls. Man, we share our faith. We lose confidence in ourselves and gain great confidence in him. I might stumble about, say the wrong thing, and God's not below that. He'll regenerate who he wants, whenever he wants. Saved, well, okay. I mean, no one can say that all of us said God saved me, God rescued me. Holy Spirit is a good thing. And then lastly, you're given an entirely new identity. So you get a new Lord, you get a new life, you get a new power, and you're rebirthed with an entirely new identity. You're made righteous by Jesus. You no longer need the weight and worth of everything that you've built up in your kingdom to be your weight and worth. You don't need it. Because you are loved, chosen, holy, seen as spotless, blameless before approach, not because of your goodness, or prettiness, but because of what Christ has done. And he engulfs you in his identity and his worth. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of creation, he calls you his. He says your values of infinite worth, look at the cost of my son. I mean, your identity is shattered and brought back together in a rock-solid place to where you can walk with confidence. You'll never meet, this is why you'll never meet a perfect Christian. Our identity is not in how we do and how we perform. Our identity is in the weight and worth of what Christ has already done for us. So, so listen, man, if you walk in here with a limp, you're in good company. That shouldn't deter you. That should make you feel warm. Man, if you're one of those people who go, oh, church is a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of mitchfits. I know, man, welcome. You're just like us. <laughs> I know. I know, man, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, you're going to find the one place? No, you entered and made it more simple. So I don't know how that, how that works. So listen, we always celebrate that there's a God that still pursues us despite our hypocrisy, despite our, our, our lack of righteousness, despite our lack of purity, despite our lack of ability. He continues to pursue and be faithful when we're unfaithful. And that's the message of Christmas. That's the incarnation. That's God with us when you couldn't do it and even tried on your own and continued to stumble and fall. God said, I still love you. I'm still after you. I'm still going to make you mine. And I'm going to love you with an everlasting love. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your God. And there's nothing you can do about it. And we say thank you. We say thank you. The implications of Christmas morning are profound. It means God knows you need a Savior. You ever thought about that? Like, like if you're wayward walking into this place, like you haven't surprised God. Like he, that's why Emmanuel got with us. That's why God became man. Because there was something wrong. He was born not just so you could please him with duty. He was not born so you could have some philosophy of living. Christianity is wildly different than that. He, he was born 
to make you totally new, to give you a new Lord with a new life, with a new power, with a totally new identity. You know, now in Christ, for some of us, we need to hear that, that your past may explain a lot of you, but it no longer defines any part of you. Baggage, stumblings, sin, brokenness. It may explain who you are. Might be repercussions, might be threads that you see here and there, but it does not define who you are. And by the way, every bit of every single person who is made new in Jesus Christ has that same song. The past does not explain me. It may explain me, but it does not define me. It has no power over me. It has no authority over who I am in Jesus Christ. That's the good news of Emmanuel with us. So he sees us not only in the absence of our sin, but the presence of the righteousness of Christ, right? So here's my question to you on Christmas Eve. Have you experienced spiritual rebirth? Have you been remade? Have you been reborn? Have you turned from sin and trusted in Jesus Christ? Because, see, it's not enough to simply appreciate the life of Jesus. We want you to experience the life of Jesus. It's not enough for you to admire Jesus. He was nice. He was kind. Did some good works. Loved women. Treated children well. Gave to the poor. No, we want you to experience First Peter given a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And only a resurrected Savior can give you the experience of Jesus Christ. So it's not enough for you to walk in and go, well, I admire him. Well, I think he's nice. We want you to experience him in the deepest parts of your being. So Jesus' birth is the better birth because his birth enables your rebirth. That's why it's better. Listen, this is a time of year where we love to give gifts, right? Gift exchanges. Maybe you guys did that in your businesses. Maybe you did that with coworkers. Maybe, I don't know. But, but right, we give gifts later today. I'm sure many of us are gonna give gifts and receive gifts. Um, um, the gospel is known as the great exchange. Uh, the best exchange that could ever, ever happen or take place. And here's what's amazing. Jesus actually wants you to give him something, but it's not what you and I would think. He wants you to give him your sin. Now listen, he doesn't need anything. He's fully self-sufficient. He's fully self-sustaining. But he actually says, give me your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. I'll give you a new life. I'll give you a new Lord. I'll give you a new identity. I'll give you a new heart. Give you a new mind. Give you a new power. For some of you, you need to just give him your sin. And here's what's amazing. Praise God he's not like us, right? Because this is why Peter's going, man, what, what, how blessed be this God and Father that, that he would have mercy, that he would actually want to take our sin? None of us, is, that's not on our Christmas list. Man, I pray somebody sins against me, right? I mean, no one, none of us want that, right? But praise God he's not like you and I. Where he says, no, give me your sin, throw it on me. And I will cover you in my righteous life and my perfectly obedience that was done for you on your behalf because you can't do that. And that's Emmanuel, God with us. That's the good news. He says, as he says to Ezekiel, I'll give you a heart of flesh and take your heart of stone and remove it. Some of you need to give him your sin. In exchange, he says he'll give us his righteous life. His gift to us on Christmas is spiritual rebirth. And I want us to hang our hats on that. So whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, man, if you're a Christian, I want you to consider this year, man, about your spiritual rebirth, man, and all, this, all the benefits of that, all the blessings of that, man. As you open up gifts, I pray those gifts move you towards, man, the endless, unaging gift of Jesus Christ. I pray as you sit at the table and have good food, you think of Ecclesiastes, says, man, no, that only shows us that there's a better meal coming in heaven. I hope that every single, good drink, good wine, good food, I pray that everything you do would point you beyond that. 
to what's really coming for us. And if you're in this room and you have not experienced rebirth, man, Jesus says you repent. Repent just means turn from sin and trust in who I am and what I've done. That's what we just laid out. He's the better everything. The whole Bible points to him. The point of every text in scripture is him. He's the hero. He's the storyline. He's the fabric. He is the DNA of everything in the universe. You need him. Take Jesus and give Jesus something. Give him your sin. Admit humbly, I cannot honor you outside of myself. I have not pleased you. I've belittled your name. I've tried to be God. I've tried to run everything on my own. I have committed cosmic treason. But I see my need for you. And he says, I'll gift you my righteous life. And I'll give you a new heart, not as you try to get one, but despite you. Let's ask God for help. Father, would you even right now fall in this place and make people new? God, would you cause people to experience rebirth? Would they trust in your name? Would they repent of sin and turn to Jesus Christ? Would they see you as saving, as lovely, as good, as holy, as just, as perfect, as Father? God, would some repent of sin and turn to you this morning? Would they give you a Christmas gift in their sin? Thank you that you say you long to forgive us of sin. Thank you that we love to confess sin because you long to forgive sin. God, thank you that the, the only reason good, the good news of Emmanuel, God, with us could possibly be good news is if something was wrong. So God, thank you that you came not just to create or correct behavior, but to literally save us from the nature of sin itself, the thing that permeated our deepest thoughts, deeds, and emotions, and will. God, would you bring some more into the family of God this morning? Would they be encouraged that you desire to love and rescue and save those who wander, those who walk in this place with a limp, those who do not have a righteousness that's required, those who do not have a purity that's necessary to possess? Thank you for coming for us. Father, I pray for the Christian in the room. God, their rebirth would be so sweet to them that it would warm their heart. That we would give great thanks for you being born all so that we could be reborn. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what we have, not just Christmas, Christmas Eve, but each day following. Help us. Hear us as we sing and celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen.